Glad to be here with you at Restoration Church. Glad to be back again and glad to see all the powerful things the Lord is doing. It's one thing to pray about something. It's one thing to hear from God. It's another thing to see the manifestation of the Spirit actually putting into physical touch what we have been asking God for. So I just was blessed as I drove on the property and saw the differences in what's going on. But what do you expect under a man and woman of God like this with vision, with mission, and hearing the voice of God? Let's give them one more hand clap. And I think how much we appreciate that. Every time I talk to him, it's just it's 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 almost like drinking out of a water fountain. I'm drinking out of a water hose because he just has so much. He's just full of what the God, what the Lord is saying to him. And I'm glad to be his friend. And I'm glad in the profound way we met. If you don't know, you need to ask him how did him and I meet, so you can hear this powerful story of how God brought us together and showed the power of God's love that passed over all the barriers that the world has built. I've made so many friends here that um, I won't even begin to say uh, how appreciative I am to everybody who makes me feel welcome. Um, I have one of those uh, syndromes, you know, abandoned syndromes, so you have to keep pretending like we're friends every time you see me, otherwise I start feeling lonely and, you know, so please hug me and, you know, so that I don't, you know, there's things I do and so please take good care of me. So, I'm glad to be here today and to be with you and to be with the word on this morning. Uh, the men's retreat, absolutely incredible. I sat there with pen and paper, with my pad, and just was taking notes. And uh, I was very glad my wife wasn't sitting next to me so that I could, you know, not be held totally accountable for the word of God that I earned, you know. But that was some powerful things for change and transformation. And I really want to be who God wants me to be. I just need a, one more day to figure out how to do it, you know. Um, but I, I do uh, do appreciate that time. And being at a church, restoration, my Lord, a place where you can come and be restored, not just for the sense of being put together, but so that you might be an army for the Lord and be used for God's glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment, this time, this glory, this presence that you bring upon us. And God, we look for your spirit to take control. There are people, God, that are in need of you, God, restoring, in need of you, God, literally refreshing in need of you, God, releasing. And so, God, do those things, we pray, this morning as we submit ourselves to who you are. Well, we have been watching the news and looking at things and watching what's going on, and we've heard a lot about lawlessness. We've seen a lot where it seems like things and people are not operating underneath any kind of control. And so it looks like things are out of control and that one now has to be worried about where I might be attacked, what might happen, personal lawlessness within communities, while at the same time people that are involved in either massive uh, killing or involved in serial murders. And so um, killing and shooting large numbers of people. And we've all been waiting for the reason, for the excuse. What reason did they do this? And then the stupidest reasons in the world is an answer for why they have done what they've done. And so we are living in a time of lawlessness like we never have 
before. Police officers are somewhat fearful and worried about being on the street, worried about what people might do because there's no respect for them as an officer anymore. Remember, a police officer can't keep a community intact. It's his presence, it's his office, it's his respect that keeps it intact. One police officer shows up and there's 20 people there, the battle's already lost, unless, of course, there's a respect for who they are as a person. And so when that respect is lost, when there's a sense not for that affirmation that's there, there can be a sense of lawlessness where literally people are taking over and acting in a way that no longer follows morality or biblical principles, and it lets you know what kind of time we might be living in. To accompany that with a loss of identity, it's difficult to know nowadays, and I know this has been going on for a minute, what is a man and what is a woman. And there are people that don't want us to know anymore. There's people that really want us to operate in a unisex world and that all things are the same. Well, God said I made male and female. I'm just going to ride out with him and just believe what he said, regardless of whether what the society wants to change what's going on. Now, no longer do you even identify as a particular a person on the trajectory for gender. You just say, I'm gender fluid. I'm somewhere. Maybe today I'm this, tomorrow's I'm, I'm that, and maybe when we go in the washroom, I'll declare I'm one thing or another. I'd like to know when I go in the washroom just who's in there with me. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying. I just want to know. I just want to know, you know. Um, and so those are some of those moving things, but that's the day and the time that we are living in. And then, you know, when we really feel like we got a handle on some of the race issues and what it means to get along with one another, it seems like all these kinds of things of race have hit the table. Some of them manufactured, some of them in place that are real. But nevertheless, it brings in this question of just simple answer of love. Do we really care? Do we really love each other? Will we reach across the break and realize that we are human beings created by the glory of God, children of Adam and Eve, made by the power of God in the respect and the imagery of Jesus Christ and just say, hey, we're all on the same place. There won't be segregated communities in heaven, so we might as well get our act together while we're down here. Somebody say amen with me just for a moment. What I'd like to say simply is that, you know what? We just got to realize that we're in the end times. Stop being, stop being uh, surprised. Stop being shocked. Stop being, oh my God, what's going on? All the news is doing is telling us that we have arrived at a time that the Bible has already spoken of. And so what is the call of the church at a time when we're in the end time moment? We're in the end time revelation and going on because the devil's going to do just what the devil's going to do. The devil's not going to stop doing what he's going to do. He's going to continue attacking our family, trying to make sure our children don't know what's right or wrong, trying to make sure that marriage becomes something that is literally available and no longer has definition and anybody can access it. Since we are in a time where the redefinitions of things that we thought were just foundational to what America and what the world is, we might as well decide that we're in a battle against the enemy and that we might as well decide we are the people of God, called of God to do the work of God, and if this is the end times, we're the chosen people of God to carry this to the next place till Jesus comes back. Somebody just give him one more hand clap of praise.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming back. The Lord is returning. That's what this means. The Bible says, greet each other with these words. Maranatha, Maranatha. What does that mean? The Lord cometh. He returns. And so I greet you this morning with the words Maranatha. While the news is telling us about the tragedies, I say Maranatha. Jesus is on his way back. And I've been chosen to be his mouthpiece at such a time as this. And the person sitting next to me is my warrior in Christ Jesus. And we're about to restore until the Lord returns the glory of God upon this earth. Give God a hand clap of praise. Amen, amen, amen. You should be excited this morning. You should be full this morning because you got chosen by God to be here to share joy, excitement, love, kindness. You say, wow, in the midst of a fallen world, I've been picked by God. Oh, my Lord. I'm so excited that I need to be full of the Lord and full of his word. And then, of course, you're in the best church Somebody said Georgia. Somebody said Atlanta. Somebody said Georgia. I'm beginning to hear maybe the United States, maybe the best church in the world. My God, I think I need to join this morning. How do you do that, Pastor? The title of my message today is just just this. God needs end-time church. He needs end-time churches, churches that are prepared to operate in the end times and not simply read the newspaper and fall away. Not simply just see the tragedies or see the difficulties or the trouble about politics or try to figure out who's going to be the answer for us and what next president's going to carry us to the next place. And really realize that, like Isaiah said, I looked up in the year that King Uzziah died and I saw when I looked up and saw when he died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting upon his throne, and his train filled the temple. It was then when I realized that this world did not have an answer for me, is what Isaiah says, that I looked up and I saw the Lord. I knew that the King of Kings was operating and in control of the world, and he said, and his train filled the temple. Well, I see the Lord this morning. I see God today. And we have been called to be kingdom people to operate in the end time moment. Let me read a scripture text to you this morning. The text that I read to you this morning comes from Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 15 through verse 19. And it reads as follows. He said to them, as you are turning there, and I'm reading out the ESV, um, and no no longer do people turn there as you're pushing the button to get there. Um, The Bible says, uh, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, comma, pause, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, brand new name. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is a profound time and moment of an exchange that happens between Jesus and his disciples. 
at a time when there is this press for ministry and a time when Jesus is going to totally reveal who he is and establish the kingdom for his departure so they could carry on and do the work of God and make sure that they were operating as kingdom people, he asked them a question. Who do people say that I am? And they answer him. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Isaiah. Some people have said these are the prophets that you are. And so when he hears this message that people have said that I'm prophetic, it means that they believe that I hear from God. It means that they believe that I have miracles from God. It means that I have fishes and loaves to offer them. I can divide bread up and I can divide up fish up. It means they recognize there's something about me that is different from everybody else in general. But I am like other people who have existed. And so he comes back and he asks them a question. I'm preparing you to be kingdom people. And this is the question he asked them in this word of preparation. He said, who do you say that I am? And I believe that that's the question of the church today. The world might be saying a lot about who Jesus is and who they recognize him here and who they want him to be. But the real question becomes back to the church. Who do you say? that I am. And Jesus asked that question of Peter of who do you say that I am that brings us here in the text this morning. Three things I want to talk about knowing the son, knowing spiritual, knowing spirituality and knowing the supernatural. The first thing that happens is in this question that is presented that is present he asks who am I? And who do you say that I am? And so this is the answer that Peter gives back. He steps right out front. Now, Peter's got a really bad name. You know, I don't, I don't know that any of you all have been treated as the black sheep of the family, but people already think that before you talk, it's not going to make sense. Uh, they already figure that whatever you do is not going to be the right thing. And so you already get pre-labeled before you even open up your mouth. But uh, Peter's one of those people, as soon as you hear his name, you go, oh, he's going to say and do something stupid. I know he is. <laughs> he's going to step out there and do something crazy. But man, the guy, I really, because nobody actually says, it's rare when you hear people say, I want to be Peter, you know. Or, or, you know, if there's a day to dress up as a character, nobody chooses Peter. You know, they want to be Paul, they want to be Barnabas, they want to be all kinds, but John, but nobody wants to be Peter, and I wonder why. Well, he's gotten a really bad name over time. But the guy does some incredible stuff. He's the only person besides Jesus who walks on water. He just did some, he just does incredible things. He says to Jesus, look, if somebody comes to get you, I'm going to kill him. Man. I'm just telling you, I need a few friends, just a few Peters. <laughs> few Peters. I'd walk down any street with my, hey, 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 don't you, I got, I got my guys with me today. And when somebody came up to attack Jesus, Peter kept his word. Jesus said to him at the time, there's only one or two swords. They, don't, don't, don't worry about that. In other words, he was telling them, I really got something a little more powerful than swords that are going to show up, you know. But Peter picked the sword up. And drew that sword. And everybody believes that Peter was trying to cut a man's ear off. He's a fisherman. He's not that accurate. And he's not that good to slice a man's ear off with a sword when you fish every day. 
He was trying to bury that sword in the top of that man's head. And that man did this at the last minute. Thank God. <laughs> and that sword cut that man's ear and cut that man's ear off and it fell on the ground. And Jesus was like, this is not the way this is supposed to happen. But nevertheless, Peter's spirit is a pretty good one. Don't you think so? I hope you want to be like Peter after this is over. Jesus, of course, picks a man's ear up and puts it back on. That would have been all for me. If I would have been the guy coming to get him, and you pick my ear and put it back on, I would have turned around to everybody. Hey, y'all, we out. We out. Let's go. Leave that guy alone. He puts ears back on. Leave him alone. Hey, Jesus, you can do anything you want. Free pass. Uh, we're out of here. You put ears back on? Uh-uh, no. And it works. I can still hear. Uh-uh, no. I'm out. Peter gets a bad name, but he really does some really good stuff, you know. And here's one of the really good things he does. He responds back while everybody else is still looking at Jesus and trying to figure out who he is and what they're about to say. And he responds back with great affirmation. He says, you are the Christ. He gives him a title first. <laughs> you know, I used to always talk with the kids when I was talking to them. I'd say, you know, what's Jesus' last name? And they'd always say, Christ. I said, no, 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 his last name. Jesus' first name, Christ, is his title. It's a title that you carry. It's a recognition that you are the Messiah. Or let me translate it, you're the anointed one. There's an anointing when you walk, when you go, and you do what you do. They kept saying, the anointed one. The one with the gift and the power of God that is upon them. He says, you are the anointed one. That's who you are. He's in no doubt about who Jesus is. While other people think he's one of, the, one of the existing past prophets, he says, no, you are the Messiah, the person set aside to come and save the world. And then he says, you're the son of the living God. Then he shifts. He says, not only are you the fishes and loaves guy, not only are you the guy that can do miracles. See, that's sometimes what we have to shift is the kingdom of God people, that Jesus isn't the only guy who just shows up when your finances are messed up, when your marriage is messed up, when your family's messed up. He's not just the guy who can fix the problems. He's not just involved with restoration. He is actually the guy who will lead you to a brand new place and person in who you are because he is God. And then he answers, he says, no, you're not just the Messiah, you are the living God's son. Wow. See, that's what separates us from every other denomination and every other person says, we just serve the same God. I just got a simple question for you. If we serve the same God, did he have a son named Jesus? If he didn't have a son named Jesus, we're not serving the same God because my God had a son named Jesus. And he identifies that. He calls him this name. And Jesus accepts this as his title. I am the son of the living God. Not a dead God. Not a God you carry around. Not some little trophy. I am the son of the living God. What an affirmation to Jesus. Who says this? Peter. That's why you need to be like him. Peter's a going on kind of guy. And he says to him, you know what? You are the son of a living God. Showing his authority because he was God. He's not just a person who walks among the earth. You are God. See, when anybody regulates my Jesus to being anything else except for God, you just took him for where he belongs. 
He is God. He said, I find it not robbery to be equal with who God is. I am of the same essence, the likeness, and of the same exact element that God is. I am God. We must not let anybody regulate our Jesus to anybody else. He's not simply just this person. He is God, and he is the son of the living God. That's his answer to him. The first thing is about kingdom people is that they know who Jesus is. You cannot move them off base about who Christ is. You see, what is critical for us in this day and time is to lift up the name of Jesus. You can talk about God all you want. People aren't offended. You can talk about heaven all you want. People are not offended. You can talk about hell if you like to. People don't want to go there, but they're not as offended. But start talking about Jesus. People are going to be offended when you start using his name. Start praying and then end the prayer in the name of Jesus. Why do you have to say his name? Why do you have to pray his name over me? People don't want that because he is the cornerstone. He's what people trip over. He's the problem because he creates the standard that people have to now answer to. And so here it is that we have to be kingdom people because we put Jesus at the corner of the way we build our homes, the way we build our lives, what we do, and everything else comes off that cornerstone. We must know the Son. Number two, we must know what it really means to be spiritual, not to get sucked into false spirituality, not to do things that don't look spiritual. At one time in the Bible, there's uh, Ananias and Sapphira, and they decide to give some fake spirituality. So Barnabas gives away all of his property and gives all his money to the church. And there's a great affirmation. Barnabas, you're a great guy, man. You gave your money. You gave all of it to the church. It wasn't a requirement. But there were spiritual attaboys for people who did it. And Barnabas gets all these attaboys. Man, he's really spiritual. He really gave this million dollars to the church after he spent his property. I don't know how much money it was. I made that up. Please don't repeat it. <laughs> but after he does this, Ananias and Sapphira decide, wow, that's how you get recognized for being spiritual. You get recognized for being spiritual. Or people see it as spirituality when you say you have done this great spiritual sacrifice. And so they decide to give only a portion of the money they sell for property, and they decide to pretend like they've given all their money so they can get the same attaboys that Barnabas just got. They seek out spirituality with the form of godliness, but deny a real power on the inside. And so they want to give up with this fake hypocrisy and say, hey, look, we gave all we had, and they're waiting on the attaboys. The Bible said when they came in before the apostles to do that, the husband came in, and the Bible said he dropped dead. Then the wife came in, gave her only a second, and then she dropped dead. And so now, if the Bible was killing people for lying, we're just in a lot of trouble, y'all. I'll just, I mean, you know, folk just dropping everywhere. <laughs> no. What was the real problem was going on? They were trying to create a false spirituality. They were trying to create a false sense of what it meant in the church to worship God. They were bringing in 
they were bringing in foreign fires. They were bringing in foreign material. They were bringing in ungodliness. They were bringing in, uh, they were bringing in the devil into worship with God. And God said, I will not allow for people to come with this false spirituality and pretend as if they're going to get the attention and the affirmation of the church and be looked at like they're so spiritual when they're so ungodly. I told a pastor of mine one time, I heard a man every Sunday when I came in, this man had just joined the church, he prayed, and oh, nobody prayed like the words he used, you could not find in the dictionary because they were greater than, than Webster had ever thought of. And they were so, they were just, it was just had a real uh, uh, rhythmic beat to them. And he just, when he prayed, it just flowed. And I remember telling the pastor, I said, Pastor, I said, you know, the one thing I really want, he said, what? He said, I want to pray like that man prays. He said, you do? He said, that's the most ungodly man in the church. <laughs> I said, oh, Lord. Here I was attracted to the words without any character behind it. I was attracted to the show, but not the transformation. Spirituality is, is very important. So he turns around to Peter and he says, You're, be blessed because what you have said. He said, blessed be you, Simon Barjona. He said, bless you because what you just did was spiritual. Jesus identifies a spiritual act and he said, bless you. Because you're not doing false spirituality. And he turns around and he acknowledges him. He said, this that has been revealed to you cannot be fake. It cannot be pretended. He said, this thing that has been revealed to you has come from God and cannot be given to flesh and blood, but a man with a spiritual connection to the Lord. We need to be on tune about finding out and discovering from God his word because that can't be fake. We need to hear from the Lord, and we need to now be mouthpieces and speak for the Lord. And let me say something else even more powerful than that. We need to carry the character of God. We need to love like God loves. We need to be kind like God is kind. We need to do things like this, this, this they call them PC. I, 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 I'm still trying to figure all the initials out, but when we met, he was just trying to show love. He walked up to me just to love me, nothing else, didn't know me from the man on the moon, but wanted just to show the love of Christ and identified his love coming from him. I believe God said to him, blessed be thou, PC, because what you have done by stepping forth to just show love to a guy you don't know and don't know who he is, but you want to make sure he's restored and the love of God is upon him, blessed be you because that is spiritual. Nobody sees you. The church isn't with you. They'll never know what you did except for I tell everybody I see. But blessed be you because what you have done is real spirituality. God needs us to operate in true spirituality and operate with true godliness. Where God has given us a revelation, where God has spoken to us, where God has told us something, and we say, I'm going to do what the Lord says do. I asked him one time. Why he came and approached me on that day. If you need the rest of the story, you'll have to ask him. I asked him one time, I said, why did you approach? He said, the Lord spoke to me and said, when I see, the next time I see a person of color, that I'm supposed to speak to them and restore them. He said, God spoke to him. and talk. That was a revelation from the Lord. 
And we have to be people that God speaks to us because God will tell you things and speak things to you that aren't things that you just come up with by yourself and things that you just understand alone by yourself. But there are things that will pierce darkness, they will break chains, and they will do the work of God in a profound way and it will be spiritual. The one thing I want to be known of when I leave this planet and leave this place is not whether I was a police officer or a dean or a pastor. I want people to know that I was spiritual, that I loved the Lord and I operated like I was spiritual. I walked in the things of God. I want somebody to say, man, that guy was spiritual. And we all know, isn't it strange when you really get into a real hard spot, there's always certain people you call. No matter what titles they hold, no matter who they are in the church, when you really need somebody to get a prayer through, everybody calls the same people. Because <laughs> they know those people are what? Spiritual. And they know they really have a connection with God. He said on these kinds of things, on the revelation of knowing who Jesus is and knowing that Jesus is the corner of who we are and understanding what it means to operate in true spirituality, he said, I will build my church on this thing. And he goes on to say to him, he says, I will rename you because all things will be made new in me. You see, you can't build a church. You can't put up enough metal. You can't put up enough wood. You can't put up enough cement. You cannot build a church. Only the Lord builds a church. But when God builds a church, when he puts a church together, he built something that will last and will last until the return of Jesus Christ for the glorious church that we shall have with him. God wants a place where people will come into and will not be left the same. See, when they walk into the sanctuary, there'll be a presence of the Lord that is so heavy that before the message is preached, they're under conviction already. That there'll be such a presence when the songs are being sung, they won't even understand the words, but God will be piercing their hearts. Why? Because God built that church. The Bible says in the Old Testament that when they built the church unto the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord was so heavy in the sanctuary that when the men of God walked in, they fell down on their face because the presence of the Lord, nobody was speaking. But God's presence was that heavy. When God builds a church, hallelujah, just lift your hands for just a moment because God's building a church. God, just for a moment, we're going to surrender to God just for a moment. When God builds a church, when God builds a church, my God, God wants a church that will last until the return of his son. He wants a church that will do the will of God, and he wants people that are kingdom people. God, I pray this very moment that as we lift your name up, that your name will be magnified in this earth. It will be glorified to all that will see it. And this ground here will build the church of God, and people will come to be restored by the glory of God's presence. Amen. Amen, 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 and amen. Hallelujah. We're building a church. We're building a church. I think Jesus was thinking about a church just like this when he said, and upon that rock, upon that testimony, upon the preaching, upon the known word of God, he said, I will build my church. That's what I'll build my church on. I'll build my church on godliness. I'll build my church on holiness. I'll build my church on sanctification. I'll build my church on the righteousness of God. 
then he changes Peter's name. Because God knows real spirituality. And he says, your name will be Simon no more. Not a small rock. He said, I call you a stone now. You're unmovable. Now, man, Jesus renamed him and gave him a name. You know that when we get the glory that we all will receive new names, the Bible said there'll be a stone, a white stone upon your neck, and on that neck and on that stone will be a brand new name that has been given to you by God. Man, 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 I believe in a, in a pre-prophetic way, God is already changing us in a way that people literally are calling you something else in their heads. That who they saw you as when they first met you and they really got to know the spirit of God in you and how you have changed and how you're not the same anymore. They don't see you the same. And there's a brand new, when they see you, even though they're saying the same name, they don't see the same name when they see you. Because you're different, you're new, you're not the same person. They don't speak of you the same way, they don't talk of you the same way because of the way you've been changed. That's kingdom people who have undergone the changes in the Lord. He says, your name now is Peter. There's a gentleman joined my church. He came to my church. He was a, he had a criminal record. He had a background. He had all kind of things in his life. And just as he walked in the church, his name was Cotton. I don't know how you're a man named Cotton, but let's leave that alone for a second. And, uh, and the Lord spoke to me and said, change his name. Now, it's offensive to a lot of people that you call somebody a name. Like, my name's Michael. You call me Mick. I'm like, my name's not Mick. If you keep calling me Mick, I'm going to be like, look, my name's Michael. Just say hey to me if you can't get my name right, you know? So, uh, but anyway, the Lord told me to change his name. So I started calling him Arn. I stood at the, the front of the church. I said, Arn? You know what I was talking to at first. And I said, uh, your name's been changed. But the Lord was changing his name because God was determining a brand new trajectory for him. And he had to think of himself in a new name not in an old name. And when I started calling him that new name, today, Arn, who had a criminal record, couldn't hold a job because he was a felon, ended up being able to have the felony expunged after they told him it could not get expunged, but God opened up a magic door, a, a spiritual door for him, <laughs> and, it got, and it ended up getting expunged. Not only did it get expunged, he ended up not only working for um, getting a good job, but working for the state of Illinois where it was almost impossible to work for the state with a felony. Uh, despite that, he was working to help and to assist people. He went on, didn't have any degrees, went on to get a bachelor's degree, two master's degrees, and a doctorate degree, and today he's Dr. Arn. Not Dr. Cotton, he's Dr. Arn. Why? Because God changed his trajectory. He spoke something new. He gave him a new name. He became Peter, and he wasn't Simon Barjona anymore. See, what Jesus says to him, he says, Simon, the son of Jonah, Barjona, the son of Jonah. He says, no, I'm now saying Peter, now a son of the living God. And I redefine who you are, and I change your destiny, and I speak over you to be a kingdom person to operate in this end-time world. Let me end this by saying this. Not only will we know what's spiritual, but we must know what is supernatural. And we have to operate in the supernatural. Things aren't going to happen because we simply are just 
operating by the principles of this world. The principles of this world don't have the keys that unlock the chains. And so in the principles of this world, there are things that we have to understand so we can operate in the kingdom world. There are three things the biblical text lays out here. And the first thing it says, very powerful scripture that people repeat on an ongoing basis. He said, I will build my church, but then he continues on. He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, I will build my church, and the gates shall not run up and beat on the church and force its way in. Gates don't move. He was never saying the gates were going to not pierce the church. What was he saying? He was saying that the church will pierce the gates of hell. He said, I'm raising up a kingdom people that will go to the gates of hell and the gates of hell will have to open up. Why do kingdom people need to go into hell? Because there's people in there they have to rescue, restore, and take out of a hell bondage and they need piercing power to open up the gates of hell because the gates of hell cannot prevail. They cannot stop the church from coming in and stealing what the devil has taken from God. Somebody say amen. There are people waiting for us to open up the gates of hell. They're locked behind the gates and they're waiting for us to come in, pierce those gates and tell them, look, come on out. We're on our way to the other side. Amen, amen, and amen. Then he says, look, he says, not only will we be able to pierce the gates of hell, he says, I will give you keys. This is what he tells them of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He said, I will give you power to stop things from happening. You'll be able to speak supernaturally to things that will have to stop because of the power that I will give to you is kingdom people. You'll be able to speak against the work of the enemy and have him stop proceeding to attack people. That's why we walk in the room and we pray over our children. We pray over our spouse. We pray over people that we just see on the street. We point at homes and pray for people. Why? Because we have an authority given to us by God that we can bind up the works of the enemy and we can speak the glory and the power of God because we have keys that literally open up heaven and allow for there to be power and riches to be used against the world. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that heaven suffereth violence and the violent taketh by force. It says there are people that are rushing into heaven to get what they need from heaven so they can come back to earth and literally bind up the enemy, stop his work, and cease what he's doing in the earth. You cannot be an overcoming church in the end time moment unless you have authority and power. If you cannot speak against the enemy, you might as well stop because you're just playing church. But my God, if you're people of power, if you're people of authority, if the glory of God rests on you, then you don't have to worry about whether they respect God or not because you'll speak to those situations, to those circumstances, and God will back your word up. Why do I say that? Because 
this is what it says. When you bind it on earth, I will bind it in heaven. I will back your word up when you're using it for the glory of the kingdom of God. Give God one more hand clap of praise. Not only can we bind, but we can lose. Man, I don't want to run around every place stopping everything. I want to release God. I want to release the presence of God. It's one thing to stop somebody from operating in ungodliness and stop wickedness from happening. It's another thing when you loose the spirit of God upon people. Oh, it's one thing when you tell the devil what he's going to stop doing, but you tell God, God, you can begin your work right here. And you can loose God on people. Can you imagine standing before somebody and saying, I'm about to loose God. Oh, mm. I'm about to loose God on you right now. I'm about to, the Bible says, I'm operating in the will of God. I'm operating in the things of God. And I'm about to declare the presence of God upon your life right now. And the Bible says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I declare liberty in your life right now. If I will loose God's spirit on earth, God said, I'm standing in heaven waiting for my people to operate as kingdom people. And when they start releasing my presence, I will back up their word and I will release it from heaven so it meets it on earth. As it is in heaven, so shall it be on earth. How do we bring heaven to earth? We must bind the devil and loose God. Give him one more hand clap of praise and glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're binding and loosing people. You get power in your life. You're an end time church. You're kingdom folk. You're the people of God. We might as well stand up and declare God's presence and start walking on holy ground until Jesus returns because the news is going to stay the news. The world's going to stay the world. But the people of God will act differently because they'll hear and get revelation from him. Pastor, amen, amen.